Hello, I'm Ryan. And I'm Brody. And this is the High Volatility Experience. Hey Ryan, do you remember last year, uh, specifically when we were we could do anything at home and work and do everything we needed to do at home? It was so fun, but now we're back into our usual lives, and there's good things and bad things about that too. But have you heard about Google and what they've done with remote work versus in-person work inside the office recently? So during the pandemic, at least, Google and other tech companies promoted the idea of employees working from home permanently. But as of three weeks ago, it seems that has changed ever so slightly, just a bit. Employees that work from home are now moving to areas with cheaper living expenses, specifically areas that are farther away from cities and Google campuses, Silicon Valley, if you will. Now, Google has since come out with a pay calculator that determines wages based on where the employee lives. An employee at Alphabet has said that by living in a different country, in, in a different county, excuse me, than where the Seattle campus is, their wage was cut by 10%. So, Brody, can we kind of get into the meat of this Google story about different wages in different cities? Another story shared that working from home in Connecticut would result in a 15% cut in wages for the same amount of work, whereas someone living in New York City near the Google campus would see no pay cut. There's so many catches with this new format as well. That same person living in NYC would see no pay cut even if they stayed at home to work. Meaning, no matter your decision to go into the office or stay at home to work, your pay is determined by where you live. This has huge consequences, and what is being said by Google or what's being done, Ryan? Everyone is trying to figure out why Alphabet has done this, because according to Reuters, they were paying their employees 100% before the change, meaning they could theoretically keep doing it. Now, workers leaving San Francisco to work remotely could see up to a 25% decrease in pay, all because Google supposedly wants to save money. Now, a 25% decrease is massive at any levels, and it can hit families hard. But that's when the kind of cost of living differences come into question, and how much a decrease in pay might actually offset a certain standard of living. Well, Ryan, Google has said that they've always based their compensation packages off of where the employee lives. But working remotely was never as present as it is now. Furthermore, a spokesperson from Google is saying that Google has always paid their employees at the top of their local markets based on where the worker remotely works. In a nutshell, Google's pay cuts should be roughly reflective of each remote location standard of living. For example, your $1 in Philadelphia or Houston will have a lot more bang than the same dollar in San Francisco or Los Angeles. So, conveniently enough, Silicon Valley consists of the southern San Francisco Bay Area, which, according to data from the Economic Research Institute, has one of the highest salaries, but also one of the highest costs of living. Now, say you move to Houston, which has a much lower cost of living, but you get the same pay from when you lived in San Francisco. 
So see how Google can use that as a reason to pay you less, but obviously that still brings many controversies. Now, going back to Google, possibly the worst part of it all is that Alphabet has only paved the way for this change. Daniel Kay from Reuters writes, Facebook and Twitter also cut pay for remote employees who move to less expensive areas, while smaller companies including Reddit and Zillow have shifted to location-agnostic pay models, meaning where you work doesn't affect your pay, citing advantages when it comes to hiring, retention, and diversity. But this story has made us question the real effects of working from home and how it benefits the employee and the employer. So Ryan, let's talk about some benefits. How about it? Well, in 2019, before the pandemic, Owl Labs released a survey detailing the differences between remote and on-site workers. The survey found that 71% of remote workers are happy with their job, while only 55% of on-site workers were satisfied with their respective job as well. Now, when participants were asked why they liked working remotely, 91% said it provided a better work-life balance, and 78% noted it came less stress. Wow, those are all great numbers, and they're further backed by the 2020 statistics also provided by Owl Labs. Participants said they were more productive when working from home, and on average saved 40 minutes per day because they did not have to commute. Finally, 76% of people said they enjoy working remotely because it saves money. To be exact, $479 per month, or almost six grand per year. Now, I really hated the pandemic, but six grand per year is a lot of money, and that's kind of nice. What other benefits are there, Ryan? Businesses also can benefit financially from remote work. If employees do not need to go into the office, why have an office? Amar Hussein of Forbes writes that, quote, the insurance giant Aetna shed 2.7 million square feet of office space, resulting in a cost saving of $78 million per year. Now, obviously, most businesses need a headquarters and workers that are physically present, but the positive draws should be considered for sure. These are all great things, but we need to take a step back real fast. Many of the statistics we have noted are qualitative, with a few numbers mixed in. These can be hard to interpret. But remote work has already disrupted one of the biggest industries, and believe me, we have numbers for it. Real estate prices are at an all-time high, and while this has a lot of factors, economists have cited remote work to be one of the biggest factors. Since workers were not expected to go into the office every day or even at all during the pandemic, they had the flexibility to move into new suburban or rural areas. In Truckee, California, housing prices exploded to a 47% increase year over year. Windhall, Vermont, a city with only 700 residents in 2019, saw a 25% increase in school enrollments following the beginning of the pandemic, which is a huge indicator of people moving out to rural and suburban cities that, I mean, I've never heard of Windhall or Truckee, California, It sounds like somewhere Walter White would be holed up. So as a result of all of this, shortages in appliances and lumber have occurred as more people are building or renovating houses in the suburbs than ever before. In fact, the price of lumber climbed 541% since March of 2020 and April of 2021 because of increased demand, supply chain issues, and other causes. 
So these are just some of the impacts. Well, we mainly talked about benefits of remote work, but we're starting to get into, you know, some of the problems that it might be causing. So Brody, can you get more into that? Why remote work might be a detriment in some cases? Yeah. So according to an ADP report, a U.S.-based labor market analyst, one of the major downsides of remote work is the lack of strong workplace connection. This report, based on data from over 9,000 employees, concluded that in-person employees enjoy crucial advantages over their remote counterparts. In essence, it comes down to the idea that humans are social creatures. We like to have that face-to-face interaction, which just isn't possible to replicate over a Zoom screen. According to the report, 70% of in-person workers said they have a strong connection with their coworkers, while 64% of remote workers reported they having a strong connection. In another blind poll conducted in 2020, more than half of the respondents said that working from home reduced internal and external networking opportunities, which for most families and people alike results in a better life going forward. So fewer networking opportunities can obviously be detrimental to a person's life. So to follow up on this, being in person also means it's more likely that workers will engage in necessary or ad hoc conversations or discussions. 77% of in-person respondents reported being able to have these conversations versus only 60% of remote workers. Just think about it. Things like team talks or conversation between remote workers can be quite disengaging and even difficult when, for instance, every worker has the ability to just turn off their cameras on Zoom. Think back to the online school situation when you're a teacher And you have a bunch of fifth graders and you have no idea what they look like because all of their cameras are turned off. And what can you do about it, right? And as a general manager now halfway through a meeting, you might not even know who's still there or not if no one is showing their faces. And interestingly enough, remember when we said that people may have been more productive at home and also saved an average of 40 minutes of commute to work each day? Well, on the flip side of that, according to the same ADP report, some remote workers have reported a longer workday, on average about an hour longer. Across a study that examined the length of a workday for men and women with and without kids working in person or remote due to COVID, the study found that both men and women with kids working remotely were the most likely to see an increase in the length of their workday. This makes sense with childcare and even potential homeschooling disrupting the work hours at home. It adds a lot of time to their day, and it's really just a trade-off between going to work and coming back. So now that we've talked about the pros and cons of remote work, it may actually be best to consider a hybrid schedule so workers get the benefits of both in-person and remote work. In fact, hybrid workers have reported more career development than their in-person counterparts. 67% of hybrid workers said they felt more visible and supported by their manager, as opposed to just 49% of on-site workers who feel the same way. Furthermore, 72% of workers in a hybrid schedule reported receiving constructive feedback about their work in comparison to only 57% of their in-person employees. So, Brody, can we talk a little bit more about why a hybrid schedule might actually be something that businesses want to consider, as well as what implications might come with implementing uh, both an in-person and a remote schedule at the same time for all of these workers. 
Well, yeah, of course, implementing a hybrid schedule comes with configuring many logistics, such as considering what kind of company is running the schedule and what jobs and tasks have to be involved on which days, which would be vital to coordinate if a hybrid schedule were to be considered. The company would also have to consider the individual circumstances of all their employees. How far do they live from the on-site location? Do they have kids? Has this worker built a strong enough network to a point that they don't necessarily have to show up in person to have development? Are certain jobs place dependent? These are all questions that need to be asked and they make it more difficult to implement a hybrid schedule. But if these can be answered correctly, it could be done well. So let's just briefly talk about the equity factor of a hybrid schedule because you brought up job dependence, which is something I think that's very important, something that has to be considered if you're a general manager or a human resources manager. Now, if someone has to go in person one day a week versus someone who has to show up three days a week because their position depends on it, would that create a sentiment of unfairness? And if it does, that's not necessarily something that you want in your workplace culture because research has found that when different departments were offered different amounts of flexibility, it led to accusations about unfairness. And research has also shown that feelings of unfairness can be a detriment to productivity, increase burnout, and reduce collaboration. So all in all, hybrid on paper seems like it would optimize the best of both the on-site and remote worlds, but with a split schedule comes with many considerations as well and also tons more work for the human resources manager, I guess. Brody, do you have anything to conclude about hybrid schedules as well? Well, I guess my final consideration concerning hybrid schedules and equity could be the potential of a two-class system. Hassan Osman, the director at Cisco Systems and an Udemy instructor who teaches management pertaining to hybrid schedules, said that a hybrid framework could potentially result in a two-tiered class system for employees. We already said earlier that some workers working at home felt that remote work reduced their networking opportunities and less remote workers having the same strong connection with their coworkers than on-site workers. Osmond fears that under a system with features both in-person and remote, people who come on-site will be treated first class, while remote workers are second class, in the sense that there may be a potential leadership bias and favoritism towards those who show up to work in person versus those on a Zoom call using bad filters and fake backgrounds. So is there any final position that you would like to state, Ryan? So I just want to go back to the two-class system thing that Osman feared, because I think that's something that's very intriguing, but it's also something that we do have to look out for, I think. Because as an example, a manager could be more keen and aware of what the employees in the office are exactly doing, as opposed to knowing what's going on with the workers at home. And just to bring it back to the school at Zoom example, because I think there's a lot of parallels that we might see. And if you're a student, you might think it's, you might see this connection more easily. Now, if you're in the position of a teacher and you have all these kids on Zoom, the people that are showing their faces on camera versus the people that don't, you're probably going to see those kids on camera in a better light because you can see, actually see what's going on, right? And I think it's very similar, reminiscent of a workplace culture. So now to make this new workplace and corporate culture work, compensating for the lack 
of face-to-face -face interaction as well as emphasizing the theme of inclusion is vital, very vital in my opinion. And Brody, how about you? Anything left to say? Well, I think we've discussed enough pros and cons to say that maybe we can go to a four-day work week. I've heard of it in Finland, and Finland is, I believe, in at least the top three happiest countries in the world. Uh, I believe. Maybe don't quote me on it, but I believe that's how it works. And I think the implementation of a hybrid schedule like that could really benefit some people. Uh, but I think it needs to be implemented correctly. Uh, with the, the whole Google situation that we talked about early in the episode, I think that needs to be considered and everything going along with that uh, should just be taken into account. But other than that, I am uh, I like the hybrid schedule. And uh, yeah, I just want to see it implemented correctly. And yes, Finland is number one. I just had my sources tell me my team is amazing. That concludes the episode. We'll see you next time on the High Volatility Experience. Go look up the Instagram, High Volatility Experience, and uh, give it a follow, subscribe. Come back next time. We'll be back soon with another episode. See you in a little bit.